morning and welcome. Welcome to worship. It is good to be with you. Wherever you're at today, we're glad you're here. I'm Jim and serve as a pastor here and our host for today. And again, thanks for being here. We love being able to worship as a church at a distance. Today, we're continuing our sermon series called Together. Together, and we're exploring the kind of church that Jesus desires for us, a Jesus-centered church, and what our individual role is in building that kind of church. Pastor Spencer will lead us in the message today. We'll be in the book, First John. This is a letter from the Apostle John to the early followers of Jesus. And this, uh, this letter and these words have so much impact upon our lives today. Also, we invite you to engage. There's a chat feature uh, on your screen. Uh, go there and engage with others. Also, we have, uh, we have people to pray with you. We're also looking forward to a creative new experience here at Schweitzer. We're calling Vacation Bible School Block Party. As we take Vacation Bible School to the neighborhoods and homes in the area, we have hosts in Springfield, Kansas City, St. Louis, Joplin, around the state. And we're still seeking hosts, so you can, you can become a host, we'll resource you. Also, this is the week that the kids can sign up. So register your child at sumc.co slash VBS. If you don't know a host and you'd like to sign your child up, uh, we'll take care of that. We'll find a host for you. It's gonna be an awesome experience for kids around the area, kids we know, and also kids that we invite around us in our neighborhoods. So join in. And now let's, uh, let's worship together this morning. Let's worship God, let's celebrate God. This is the day the Lord has made. Let's worship.
we come to this time of prayer, we thank God for prayer, the opportunity to have a conversation with God that, that changes us and changes the world and uh, is just a, a great gift to us. Today being Father's Day, let's pray uh, first to give thanks to God the Father who loves us more than we can imagine. Also, let's uh, give thanks and pray for our own fathers, uh, people who have uh, loved us and poured into us, and where there's been relationships that have been challenging and been hard uh, are really not there. Let's, uh, let's pray to God and let's uh, pray for healing and pray that we can forgive others and also that God uh, would transform us and continue to change us and uh, be able to use us to, to bring the kingdom of God here. Let's pray together. Holy God, gracious God and kind, kind Father, uh, we love you and we praise you, we thank you. But God, you, uh, you chose us first and that uh, you love us. And God, we thank you for people in our lives like our, our dads, our fathers, who have loved us as well and, and cared for us. Uh, our dads that, uh, that are with us still and for dads that have passed on and, and uh, we have great, great memories. God, we are we are thankful, thankful people. And God, where relationships are hard, we need you. And where they're challenging or they've not been there, God, we, we pray to you um, to fill that gap, Holy Spirit, to pour your love into us, uh, comfort us, begin to heal our hearts. And uh, Lord, use us in ways that, that we can't imagine, but you know for your, your good purposes. But God, we, we know in this time in this very season of our lives and our communities and world, uh, we confess we deeply need uh, you, Holy Spirit, to lead and guide us. Help us to, to be people who really act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with you, God. Walk humbly with you and others. And now let's, uh, let's continue to pray together through the Lord's Prayer. And today we're going to be led by uh, leaders on the caring team. Let's pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Yeah. And now we continue worshiping together through, uh, through our offering, a giving, uh, giving back to God out of uh, God's uh, good gifts to us, a God who gives and gives and gives, is an act of worship. And we, we give out of trust, trust in God and also obedience. And we thank you. We thank you for your gifts who um, you have been giving from, from all around the country. And we appreciate your tithes and offerings that that invest in the kingdom of God, that change and restore lives, it matters. Uh, it, it really does. And again, we are really grateful. Wherever you're at today, we thank you for your giving. 
Come now, fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy praise. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mountain fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I'm come, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger wandering from. Interposed his precious blood. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy grace, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. We believe in the power of stories. Each week this year, we've been telling stories of how God is uh, impacting lives and how God is changing us. Uh, today, we're in the sermon series uh, together, and Joyce Hopper is going to tell us about how community has really impacted her life. One of the things we're really grateful here is for our online community as well as classes and, and groups, and there's so many ways to be connected. Thank you, God, for, uh, for community. And now, let's hear from Joyce. I started coming to Schweitzer probably about, well, maybe six or seven years ago on occasion, on invitation from different people for, I, I always loved the cantatas that, that Schweitzer did. So on Sundays, I would usually be at my house in Springfield, so I would come to Schweitzer and there were several people that sat around me that invited me to join them for Sunday school at the Women at the Well. We essentially do traditional Bible study, which I love. I grew up in the Presbyterian Church in a little town in Nebraska, and it was very much a responsive congregation when it came to worship. There was a lot of uh, unison readings, prayers of confession, responsive readings, and I truly believe in the three R's, repetition, 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 and after hearing those same verses and songs and hymns over and over, 
I feel like they're ingrained in me. One, one especially meaningful session for me was when we were studying the rebuilding of the temple. And it coincided with Christ. Every, every piece that was in the temple was a part of Him and a part of us. So it's been, it's been and continues to be a wonderful journey. I've had my ups and downs, certainly, in life. And I finally figured out, I think it was listening to a radio sermon, which I, I like to listen to radio sermons, so I'm fine with, with the way things are these days. But it was how you can't look for consistency in human relationships or in, in your own work or your deeds or whatever. It's, it's God that's consistent. He's consistent with everything. Can be relied on for, for help in times of trouble, for listening in times of praise, and those things, that consistency really is what sustains me. My name is Joyce Hopper, and this is just the beginning of my story. Well, friends, welcome this morning. My name is Spencer. Today is part three of a series we're on called Together, where we are having a conversation about us as a church, uh, a local church. We're reading through 1 John, which is a, a letter that's written to local churches about how it is that we um, live together and, and what it is that it looks like for us to, to, to be together. Uh, today's Father's Day, so I want to say Happy Father's Day to our dads who are watching with us today. Um, it's, it's great to celebrate uh, together as, as we have Father's Day today. And today's also a big day for our church because today is uh, a, the start of a new season for us as we are coming back to in-person worship and we're also having um, online worship. It's, it's kind of a new normal for us where we're going to be a church that's both in person and online. And this is how we're going to operate really from now on that, that we, uh, we want to move into this to two places, these, these kind of two places of doing church. Because one of the things that we've learned over the last 14 weeks, which is how long we've been online only, 14 weeks, 14 weeks of this. But one of the things we've learned in these 14 weeks is that you don't need to be here in person to still be part of our church family. And we've seen all kinds of ways that people have engaged with us as part of the church family, even though we haven't been gathering physically together. I think about how we've celebrated baptisms and new members. We've had confirmation. Uh, we, we, we've had... Uh, We've had these 52 stories. We've continued to share the stories of people who are connected to Schweitzer. Uh, we'll have VBS coming up where we're going to be in, in this kind of uh, mobile mode of, of block parties where it's going to happen in different places, including outside of the Springfield metro area, that we are a, a church that, that is both in person and online. And this is just the new normal for us. So it's a big, big Sunday for us as we start this new season of our church where, where we begin to, to live into this. And so um, as we started this new season, I wanted us to have a conversation though about us, about our church and, and how it is that we function and, and kind of the big picture idea of what does it mean uh, to belong to the church? What, is, what does it mean to function as a church? What does it mean uh, for you and I and, and our individual responsibilities as, as, uh, as members of, of our church and as the body of Christ? And what does this look like for us? And so we're reading through 1 John to learn from this. Uh, 1 John is this pointed, direct, sometimes even a little offensive letter about, about what it looks like to be part of the community of that, that is the body of Christ. And so we're just reading through this line by line. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. So here's 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Here's what we read. It starts off with a little poem. 
John writes, he says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now we're going to keep reading here, but, but John starts with this little poem about who we are in Christ. Uh, this poem about the, to the children, to the young men, to the fathers. It's really, it's really more inclusive than that, really to the whole church, that, that we belong to Christ, that we are sins have been forgiven, um, that we belong to him who is from the beginning, that, that we, we belong to him, that, that through Jesus... Uh, we find our meaning, our purpose, and our identity in, in God. This is who we are now, and that's how he starts. Now, we're going to get more practical about this, and what does this look like in real life? I'm going to go to the next verse here, verse 15. Um, John writes this. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives um, forever. And so we see John here doing something that is uh, very, very common in the Bible. Um, John is telling us that basically there's two kinds of people. There are those who love God and who do the will of God and who live in relationship with God. And then there are those who love the world and uh, look to the world for what they need in life. And this is the kind of thing that you see these, these kinds of two kinds of people contrast happen all the time in scripture. It's a really common thing you see in the Bible. I think about Jesus, for instance, he talks about how there are some who walk on a narrow path and there are some who walk on a wide path, two kinds of people. Jesus also talks about how there's weeds and there's wheat and they grow together. Another place Jesus talks about how there's sheep and there's goats. There's like these two kinds of people. In the Old Testament, there's all kinds of these two kinds of people. Um, contrast, one of the most famous is the wise and the foolish that you see in the Psalms and the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. There's, there's two kinds of people in the world and this is, this is what you see. But it, and it's tempting whenever you come across these these two kinds of people, uh, that you begin to think that what the Bible is describing is like good people versus bad people, right? Immoral people versus immoral people. That's what John writes about. There are those who, who love uh, the Lord, and then there are those who love the world. Um, it's, it's tempting to see that kind of writing as, as to think he's describing, you know, good people versus bad people, moral people versus immoral people. But, but really, if you, if you back up from that just a little bit and you start to ask yourself this question, like, well, what does it mean to love the world? One of the things you start to see is it's, it's not necessarily he's describing good people versus bad people. I think there's a, even a bigger way of thinking about that in really any of these two kinds of people lists that you see in the Bible, because what does it mean to love the world? What does it mean to love the world? Well, like, when you think about loving the world, and what it means to love the world, I, I can't help but think that this is actually how most people live, right? It's, it's kind of how normal people live. Normal people love the world. This, this is how most people live their life, is, is most people love the world. Most people um, look to the world to provide them for things in, in life. Like, like you think about normal people, and uh, normal people look to the world to provide them things like purpose and meaning and identity. And this is what it means to love the world, is when you look to the world for these kinds of things. And so this is why, why normal people uh, look to, I don't know, their careers, for instance, uh, to give them their identity. Or, or this is why normal people uh, spend incredible amount of energy 
comparing themselves to other people. Like, what do other people look like? What kind of cars do other people drive? And how big is someone else's house? We spend all kinds of energy comparing ourselves to other people. Or, or, or this is why um, normal people, a lot of times, care deeply about what other people think about them. And so they spend all kinds of, of energy uh, hoping to impress people or trying to get other people to think more highly of them or they make decisions based on how other people are going to receive it. And, and they spend all this kind of energy when they do this because normal people look to the world to give them their purpose and their meaning and their identity. So it's not so much that, that these are good people versus bad people. What we're really describing here are there are those who look to the world to provide them their purpose, their meaning and identity. And then there are those who look to God. And these are these two kinds of people that you see here. And we're going to keep reading here um, and, and stay on this, this idea, but um, you have these, these two kinds of people that John gives us here. So verse 18, let's keep reading. Um, John says, he says, Dear children, this is the last hour, which by the way, Christians have always believed that we're in the last hour. No matter when you live, we've always believed we're in the last hour because Jesus could return at any moment and we're always called to be prepared. So this is the last hour, he says. And as you have heard, that the Antichrist is coming. Of course, the Antichrist is this figure that uh, deceives people and leads people astray. Um, it's, it's connected here to these people who, who love the world. Notice the connection. It's right away. It's the same context that we're reading here. But, but as we keep reading through um, this, this passage, I want you to pay attention to how John keeps using this word Antichrist because it's, it's fascinating. So he says, this is the last hour and you've heard that the Antichrist is coming. And then he says this, listen, he says, even now, Many antichrists, notice this, no longer is it the antichrist, is this one figure, now it's many antichrists, plural, plural antichrists. He says, many antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Verse 19 says, they, that is the antichrist, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. And so we have this idea here that these antichrists, whoever they are, they at one point uh, belonged or maybe still do belong to this community, this, this local church. Verse 20, let's keep reading. He says, but you uh, have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. And of course, there's a promise of the Holy Spirit in the Bible that the Holy Spirit brings us and leads us to truth. Verse 21, he says, I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. I just want to remind you of the truth, he says. Uh, verse 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person, here's the word again, is the Antichrist. Denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. And in context, those who are trying to lead you astray are, are the Antichrists. And then he says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you. And you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just has been taught you, remain in him. And so this, this teaching that John gives us uh, gets really weird, doesn't it? I mean, we have these, these antichrists that show up and we start talking in this very kind of strange way about these antichrists who are trying to lead them astray. And, 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 and you see these the kind of three ideas that we've read here so far. And, and we started off with this idea that, 
that there's this poem and, and, and John's telling us about all that we have in Christ been forgiven and we have know him who's from the beginning and this is who we are in, in Christ. We know him. And then we read the second idea and it's about these two kinds of people. And then we get to the third idea and it's about these antichrist, this kind of weird way that they're part of the church and, and that they're leading people astray. And it, it's, it's, a, it's kind of a weird teaching as you start to, to work your way through this. And, and it's tempting as you read through this to start to think that these are three different ideas that John is presenting to us. Like, for instance, I'm reading from the NIV and in my Bible that I'm reading from, each one of these ideas has a, has a subject heading at the beginning of the reading. Um, the, the subject heading, it's like it's a bigger font, it's, it's, it's bolded. And so it's tempting to think that like when John was writing, you know, first John, he was like, all right, John chapter two, verse 12, subject heading. But that's not how it was. This is just like one idea that he had through here. It's, it's one idea that's, that's actually all connected uh, together. And so when we come to this strange thing he's saying about these antichrists, it's tempting to think that maybe he's saying one thing, this thing that maybe we think of when we hear this word antichrist, but really he might be saying something else because the context of this is, is teaching us maybe there's, there's more to this than just this, this blatant idea, this, this normal idea we come to. Because when I say this word antichrist, we read through here and you hear that word antichrist, I wonder what comes to mind for you. Probably you think of like the worst person in the world or, or maybe you think of like the figure um, at the end of time who's going to lead people astray, the mark of the beast, revelation kind of thing that, that you might think of, book of revelation. But, but as you read through 1 John and, and you see how John actually uses this word, which by the way, the word antichrist is only used in First and Second John. It's not used in Revelation at all. But when you look at the, how the word is actually used here, it starts off with this idea that maybe there's this figure who's going to lead people astray, but then John begins to speak of it in the plural. And, and then John begins to speak about how these antichrists, these plural antichrists, are actually part of the church. And as you start to connect the dots a little bit, you begin to see how, how this is not maybe something that's just this one figure who's this capital A antichrist, but maybe these antichrists are, are actually much more common, much more normal than you might think. That perhaps these antichrists are are not just some figure that happens at the end of time, but, but rather is a, is a way of life that some people choose to live. I mean, the word antichrist, what it really just means is to be opposed to Christ. And if you think about it, you can be opposed to Christ in all kinds of ways. You can be opposed to Christ because you hold to false teaching. That's what's referenced here in 1 John. You can be opposed to Christ by simply the way that you live. You can be opposed to Christ when you put yourself at the center of the universe instead of him. You can be opposed to Christ. You can be opposed to Christ when, when you look to the world for things like your meaning, your purpose, and your identity, which sounds an awful lot like how this started with these two kinds of people, that there are those who, who love God and that there are those who love the world. And I, and I can't help but wonder as John is writing through this and he's talking about these antichrists, if he's not connecting these two ideas that, that those who love the world as they are in the church, the word that he would use here is, is antichrist. Because these are folks who are living opposed to Christ, which then causes me to have all kinds of questions. Because like if, if we're just talking about people who are living opposed to Christ, who love the world and, and, and are, are simply people who, who look to the world for their meaning, purpose, and identity, they're not necessarily like, bad people, like especially you know, significantly sinful people, wicked people. They could just be normal people. I'm, I'm left wondering, like, why does John use such a loaded and charged word like antichrist to describe these folks? Because like antichrist is like, that's an aggressive word to use to just say that these are folks that you know, these are people in the church, they're part of us, you know who these people are. And I imagine if you were one of the 
first people to receive this letter, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what he's talking about. Like these antichrists who, who have infiltrated the church and part of the church. And, and yet these are people who, who are in some ways are causing harm to the church. And so he's, he uses this word, this word that's just incredibly charged. He uses the word antichrist to describe them. And I, I don't know why he uses this word, but I have a theory and you may disagree with my theory, but here's my theory on why John uses this word antichrist to describe these folks who simply love the world. And my theory is this, that for John, the church, and that, I don't mean the building, but the church, like the people of God, is so precious and so valuable and so significant that anything that causes harm to the church is so dangerous that we're going to label it with harsh language. That for John, when he looks at the church, what he sees is the mechanism that God is using to invite everyone everywhere into relationship with him. That God is using the church to bring healing and wholeness, restoration to the world. That God is is using the church to speak this word of grace and, and mercy to people. That God is using the church to change lives and even to change culture. And so therefore, anything that causes the church harm is dangerous. Now it's tempting to think about the things that cause the church harm in, in terms of these like big things. Like there are, there are big things that cause the church harm. Big things like false teaching that causes the church harm, uh, denying that, that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ or devaluing the Bible. These things are things that cause the church harm. But, and, and then sometimes the things that cause the church harm are, are big like behavioral problems. Like we read uh, uh, stories of abuse that make the news or, or stories of, of uh, desires that are out of control and sinfulness that make the news, those kinds of things. And so it's tempting to think about the things that cause the church harm as these like big things. And those are definitely um, things that are opposed to Christ. Those are anti-Christ kinds of things. But you know what? Sometimes the things that cause the church harm are, are not the big things. Sometimes they're small things. And they're things that you and I sometimes are, are so small that you and I sometimes even begin to tolerate or, or even begin to think of these things as, as, as normal because these are things that you and I do in our own life. And, and we, they may not be the big things that make the news, but these are still things that cause the church harm. I think about things like this. I think about what happens to a local church when gossip begins to run rampant. And you begin to have an us crowd and and a them crowd. And you begin to share uh, stories that damage other people and they damage their reputations and their character. What happens there? It causes the church harm. Or I I think about this. Um, What happens to a local church when when there are people who are full of criticism and discouragement and, and speak words of judgmentalism and push people out? How much harm is caused to a local church? Or think about this. How much harm is caused to a local church when when uh, there's conflict. And instead of dealing with that conflict in the way the Bible teaches and going and actually talking to the person that there's conflict with, we don't do that because that's way too hard. Instead, what we do is we go talk like, about that person. That's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. In fact, we have a word for that. We call it um, venting. We just go vent about somebody. You know what, you know what venting accomplishes? You know what, it, you know what it does? Nothing. Venting accomplishes nothing. All, all it does is it makes you feel better in the, in the short term, but it, it doesn't actually... Uh, bring reconciliation or healing or anything like that. And so what happens to a local church when instead of handling conflict the way the Bible talks about and teaches us, we push it aside or we go vent to other people instead of actually dealing with what it is. Or, or, or think about this, how many local churches are in year after year after year of decline 
because the local church has forgotten about their mission field and the people around them, and instead their community instead has begun to focus just on what they want to happen. Like there's all kinds of ways that are, that are small and maybe even normal for us that cause the church harm. It's, it's, not, it's not just these, these big headline-making ways that cause the church harm. There's all kinds of ways that cause the church harm. And, 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 and what we believe, I mean, I certainly believe this. I, I believe you do too, that the church is so precious. It is so valuable. It is so significant because it is the mechanism that God is using to bring healing, salvation, to bring restoration, to bring reconciliation, to bring, to bring salvation to the world. The church is the mechanism that God is using to redeem people and change people's lives that, that it is so valuable, so significant, so precious that anything that causes it harm is, is dangerous. Anything that causes it harm is the way of Antichrist. And so I've been thinking about myself as I've been wrestling with this, this teaching this week. And I've been, I've been thinking about this, this question of, of causing the church harm, and, and maybe not just like the big headline-making ways, but just in the smaller ways that maybe I begin to tolerate, these, these kind of normal ways, because sometimes the normal ways are, are actually more harmful than the big ways because you don't even realize you're doing them. They're just, they just become so normal for us. And so I, I've been thinking about this, and I've been thinking about my own life, and I've been wrestling with this question of, of really this, this question of, well, what, what kind of person am I, right? There's two kinds of people in the world. What kind of person am I? Am I, am I the kind of person who seeks to build the church, or am I the kind of church person who, who, who seeks to destroy the church? And I certainly want to be the kind of person who builds the church, and I bet you do too, but, but I start to think about my life and what this actually looks like, and it begins to be, begins to be much more challenging to begin to think about some of the, the activities and behaviors that actually build the church and some of the activities and behaviors that, that destroy the church. And so I've been wondering, am, am I a builder of the church's unity and mission, or am I a destroyer of the church's unity and mission? That's a becomes a practical question. And what I've discovered is that it's far easier to destroy a church than it is to build a church. It's easy to criticize and complain and to name all the things that aren't going right. It's, it's easy to point out all the problems and to deconstruct it. It's, it's easy to do that kind of thing, but, but it's much harder to build something. It's much harder to build community. It's much harder to, to work for unity. It's much harder to, to build something that's valuable. It's much harder to do that sort of thing. And it's, it's easy to go the other way. And so I've been asking myself this question and it gets very practical because I start to ask myself questions like this. Well, if I wanna be the kind of person who builds unity, let's think about how I use my words. Am I the kind of person who uses my words for encouragement and blessing? Or am I the kind of person who uses my words to be critical and complain? Am, am I the kind of person who, when I'm offended, do I easily forgive or do I hold on to that grudge and seek to get somebody back? Am I the kind of person who, when there is conflict, I go and I try to address that conflict with that person or I try to push it aside and run away from that? Am I the kind of person who, who gives people the benefit of the doubt and doesn't make judgment about them? Or am I the kind of person who, who judges their actions and thinks the worst about somebody and, and jumps to conclusions about them? There are, there are all kinds of ways, you see, that maybe aren't so big, but they're small, that still harm the church. They still harm the church. And so I've been asking myself this question, am I, am I a builder of unity or am I a destroyer of unity? And I like to say that I'm a builder of unity, but when I stop and think about some of my actions, there, there are times where I destroy unity. I was thinking about just um, this last 14 weeks, we've been in this you know, new COVID world where we had this shutdown and, and things were, were really difficult. One of the things that the Lord taught me or, or is still teaching me through this, through this time frame is, is to be more generous with my thoughts because I, I'm, I'm somebody who, who can be kind of critical 
And so uh, to be more generous. And so I, I was thinking just recently about how uh, when we first got into the shutdown, it was, you know, we, we moved with a second grader and a fourth grader. We started doing online school, which was just really, really difficult and uh, didn't go the way that we wanted it to go. And, and um, I, I were in the middle of online school and, and uh, it, was, it was hard for everybody to do. And, and so I, I got frustrated one day and I, and I went and I wrote a very terse, angry, complaining, critical email to our principal because I was, I was let down by our school. I felt let down by our school, I should say. And when I say I was like, you know, in the middle of shutdown, I should really confess that it was like day two of doing online school. I hadn't given it very much time yet. And I wrote this email and, and as I was finishing the email, I had this like little voice speak to me. I, just, I think it was the Holy Spirit just kind of whispering to my heart, hey, hey, pause. So I, I walked away from my computer for, for a few hours and I came back and I read the email and again, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I was going to send that. It's so critical. It's so uh, not full of generosity. It's jumping to conclusions about somebody. It's not, it's not giving them the benefit of the doubt. It's making an enemy instead of, instead of seeking to bless someone. I can't believe I was about to send this, but, but this is what it looks like to destroy unity. And so this question I've been asking, am I a builder of unity or a destroyer of unity? It's, it's even bigger than the church. I think about families and schools and businesses and, and any organization where, where there are people together. Am I the kind of person who builds unity or am I the kind of person who destroys it? C.S. Lewis has this great line that I'm going to paraphrase. But he says, essentially he says, because I'm paraphrasing it, he says, um, everyone is loving if they don't happen to be annoyed at the time. And, and I love that because there's so much truth that like love is a choice that you have to make. And, and it's really the choice that you make when it's hard to do. And I think unity is the same kind of choice. That, that I always feel great about you know, the church or whatever organization I'm part of if things are going well. But what about when things are hard? That's when the choice to unity becomes real. What about when there's conflict? What about when there's disagreement? What about when things are bumpy? What kind of person am I going to be then? Am I going to be a person who builds unity or am I going to be a person who destroys it? Because to be frank with you, the kind of person who destroys unity, that's the way of Antichrist. It's living opposed to the teaching and the life of Jesus. John uses harsh, harsh language because when we destroy unity, we destroy people, we destroy God's work. And this is something that is valuable and and important in God's eyes. And so friends, I want to ask you a question. Are you somebody who builds unity or do you destroy it? Let's pray. So Father, today I want to thank you that you give us one another. You bring us into a church. Some of us uh, come in person, some of us are online, but you bring us into a community together where we can learn, we can grow, we can encounter you, encounter your salvation, encounter to live like you. And we don't want to be the kinds of people who look to the world for their meaning, their purpose and identity. We We want to look to you. And as we do this, may we be those who live like you. If there are ways that we have been destroying unity in the people around us, through criticism, complaints, judgmentalism, not handling conflict, would you forgive us? Would you give us the courage to follow you in all ways? Because we don't want to live opposed to Christ. We want to live connected to Christ. And so God, would you guide us? Would you lead us? In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Let my heart be a temple 
Did that temple have a throne? Let the one who sits upon it be you and you alone. I surrender my ambitions. I lay down on my pride. That I would be your servant And you would be my God Let your will be done in me Let your kingdom come in me In my life, Lord, let it be as it is Like a battle-weary soldier I'm lifting up my head In absolute surrender My life, my will, my place And yours will be the glory
Well, friends, it's been good to join together today in worship. I hope that you have encountered the Lord as we've uh, been together in worship. This has been a helpful experience for you. I encourage you to share this with your friends, your family. Uh, you can do that by sending the link to them. And we'll uh, join together next Sunday, both in person and online at nine o'clock. I can't wait to see you then.